Book One, Chapter One of The Crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Rollins of Augusta, Georgia. Book One, The Borderland. Chapter One, The Blue Wall. I was born under the Blue Ridge, and under that side which is blue in the evening light, in a wild land of game and forest and rushing waters. There, on the borders of the creek that runs into the Yatkin River, in a cabin that was chinked with red mud, I came into the world a subject of King George the Third, in that part of his realm known as the province of North Carolina. The cabin reeked of corn-pone and bacon, and the odor of pelts. It had two shakedowns, on one of which I slept under a bearskin. A rough stone chimney was reared outside, and the fireplace was as long as my father was tall. There was a crane in it, and a bake-kettle, and over it great buckhorns held my father's rifle when it was not in use. On other horns hung jerked bear's meat and venison hams and gourds for drinking cups and bags of seed and my father's best hunting shirt also in a neglected corner several articles of woman's attire from pegs these once belonged to my mother among them was a gown of silk of a fine faded pattern over which i was wont to speculate the women at the crossroads twelve miles away were dressed in coarse butternut wool and huge sunbonnets but when i questioned my father on these matters he would give me no answers my father was how shall i say what he was to this day i can only surmise many things of him he was a scotchman born and i know now that he had a slight scotch accent at the time of which i write my early childhood he was a frontiersman and hunter i can see him now with his hunting shirt and leggings and moccasins his powder horn engraved with wondrous scenes his bullet pouch and tomahawk and hunting knife he was a tall lean man with a strange sad face and he talked little save when he drank too many horns as they were called in that country these lapses of my father's were a perpetual source of wonder to me and i must say of delight they occurred only when a passing traveller who hit his fancy chanced that way or what was almost as rare a neighbour many a winter night i've lain awake under the skins listening to the flow of language that held me spellbound though i understood scarce a word of it virtuous and vicious every man must be few in the extreme but all in a degree the chance neighbour or traveller was no less struck with wonder and many the time have i heard the query at the crossroads and elsewhere where alec trimble got his learning the truth is my father was an object of suspicion to the frontiersman even as a child i knew this and resented it he had brought me up in solitude and i was old for my age learned in some things far beyond my years and ignorant of others i should have known i loved the man passionately in the long winter evenings when the howl of wolves and painters rose as the wind lulled he taught me to read from the bible and the pilgrim's progress i can see his long slim fingers on the page they seemed but ill-fitted for the life he led 
The love of rhythmic language was somehow born into me, and many's the time I've held watch in the cabin day and night while my father was away on his hunts, spelling out the verses that have since become part of my life. As I grew older I went with him into the mountains, often on his back, and spent the nights in open camp with my little moccasins drying at the blaze. So I learned to skin a bear and fleece off the fat for oil with my hunting knife, and cure a deerskin and follow a trail. At seven I even shot the long rifle with a rest. I learned to endure cold and hunger and fatigue and to walk in silence over the mountains, my father never saying a word for days at a spell. And often, when he opened his mouth, it would be to recite a verse of Pope's in a way that moved me strangely. For a poem is not a poem unless it is well spoken. In the hot days of summer, over against the dark forest, the bright green of our little patch of Indian corn rippled in the wind. And towards night, I would often sit watching the deep blue of the mountain wall and dream of the mysteries of the land that lay beyond and by chance one evening as i sat thus my father reading in the twilight a man stood before us so silently had he come up the path leading from the brook that we had not heard him presently my father looked up from his book but did not rise as for me i had been staring for some time in astonishment for he was a better-looking man than i had ever seen he wore a deerskin hunting shirt dyed black but in place of a coonskin cap with the tail hanging down a hat his long rifle rested on the ground and he held a roan horse by the bridle howdy neighbor he said i recall a fear that my father would not fancy him in such cases he would give a stranger food and leave him to himself my father's whims were past understanding but he got up good evening he said the visitor looked a little surprised, as I had seen many do, at my father's accent. Neighbor, said he, can you keep me overnight? Come in, said my father. We sat down at our supper of corn and beans and venison, of all of which our guest ate sparingly. He, too, was a silent man, and scarcely a word was spoken during the meal. Several times he looked at me with such a kindly expression in his blue eyes a trace of a smile around his broad mouth that i wished he might stay with us always but once when my father said something about indians his eyes grew hard as flint it was then i remarked with a boy's wonder that despite his dark hair he had yellow eyebrows after supper the two men sat on the log step while i set about the task of skinning the deer my father had shot that day Presently I felt a heavy hand on my shoulder. "'What's your name, lad?' he said. I told him, Davy. "'Davy, I'll learn you a trick worth a little time,' said he, whipping out a knife. In a trice the red carcass hung between the fork stakes, while I stood with my mouth open. He turned to me and laughed gently. "'Some day you'll cross the mountains and skin twenty of an evening,' he said. "'He'll make a woodman sure.' you've got the eye and the hand this little piece of praise from him made me hot all over game rare said he to my father none so good now said my father i reckon not 
My cabin's on Beaver Creek, some forty mile above, and game's going there, too. Settlements, said my father, but presently, with a few whiffs of his pipe, he added, I hear fine things of this land across the mountains that the Indians call the dark and bloody ground. And well named, said the stranger. But a brave country, said my father, and all tramped down with game. I hear that Daniel Boone and others have gone into it and come back with marvelous tales. They tell me Boone was there alone three months. He's something of a man. Do you kin him? The ruddy face of the stranger grew ruddier still. My name's Boone, he said. What? cried my father. It wouldn't be Daniel. You guessed it, I reckon. My father rose without a word, went into the cabin, and immediately reappeared with a flask and a couple of gourds, one of which he handed to our visitor. Tell me about it, said he. That was the fairy tale of my childhood. Far into the night I lay on the dewy grass, listening to Mr. Boone's talk. It did not at first flow in a steady stream, for he was not a garrulous man, but my father's questions presently fired his enthusiasm. I recall but little of it, being so small a lad, but I crept closer and closer until I could touch this superior being who had been beyond the wall. Marco Polo was no greater wonder to the Venetians than Boone to me. He spoke of leaving wife and children and setting out for the unknown with other woodsmen. He told how, crossing over our blue western wall into a valley beyond, he found a warrior's path through a gap across another range and so down into the fairest of promised lands and as he talked he lost himself in the tale of it and the very quality of his voice changed he told of a land of wooded hill and pleasant vale of clear water running over limestone down to the great river beyond the ohio a land of glades the fields of which were pied with flowers of wondrous beauty where roamed the buffalo in countless thousands, where elk and deer abounded, and turkeys and feathered game, and bear in the tall brakes of cane. And, simply, he told how, when the others had left him, he stayed for three months roaming the hills alone with nature herself. But did you know meet the Indians? asked my father. I seed one fishing on a log once, said our visitor, laughing but he fell into the water. I reckon he was drowned. My father nodded, comprehendingly, even admiringly. And again, said he. Well, said Mr. Boone, we fell in with a party of Shawnees going back to their lands north of the Great River. The critters took all we had. It was hard, he added reflectively. I'd staked my fortune on the venter, and we'd got enough skins to make us rich. But, neighbor, there's land enough for you and me as black and rich as Canaan. The Lord is my shepherd, said my father, lapsing into verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me into green pastures and beside still waters. For a time they were silent, each wrapped in his own thought, while the crickets chirped and the frogs sang. From the distant forest came the mournful hoot of an owl. And are you going back? asked my father presently ay that i am there are many families on the yatkin below going too and you neighbor you might come with us davy's the boy that would thrive in that country my father did not answer it was late indeed when we lay down to rest 
and the night I spent between waking and dreaming of the wonderland beyond the mountains, hoping against hope that my father would go. The sun was just flooding the scopes when our guest rose to leave, and my father bade him Godspeed with a heartiness that was rare to him. But to my bitter regret, neither spoke of my father's going. Being a man of understanding, Mr. Boone knew it were little use to press. He patted me on the head. You're a wise lad, Davy, said he. I hope we shall meet again. He mounted his roan and rode away down the slope, waving his hand to us. And it was with a heavy heart that I went to feed our white mare, whinnying for food in the lean-to. End of chapter 1